I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Whoa, it's Bosco and Electro Spit on Rebel Radio. Rebel, 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 Rebel Radio. Yeah, yeah. Um. Fuck you, Josh. Fuck you, Josh. Fuck you, Josh. <laughs> What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh? Rebel Radio is going down. What do you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I talk to the Rebels who are shaping youth culture. We talk about how they do it, why they do it, and what you can do to get a little piece of the pie for yourself. We're also the only show to bring you new music every week from our friends at EDM.com. Check it out. We are kicking off our fourth year of Rebel Radio. I appreciate all you that have been with us from the beginning. Everybody that's joined us recently, I hope you tune in and go back in the archives and check out some of our old episodes. I'm your host, Josh Levine. My guest this week is my man, Bosco. He is an old, old friend of mine. He was one of my early management clients. Uh, if, you, if you know me and we've talked about the music business at all, I made my first record deal with Bosco. We're going to talk about that in the interview. He's a great producer. Uh, you've probably heard a lot of his music with E-40. If you're an E-40 fan, you might have heard him on some Kanye records. This kid is dope. Uh, we, we get into a lot about our history together, the, the years that we worked together. We talk about hip-hop and the music business in the 90s and lessons that we both learned along the way. Uh, namely, how to combat perfectionism. We get into the value of open communication and just how hard that is to do, especially when you're young. There's some great stories here. This is the first of a two-parter. We're going to come back next week and talk to Bosco about what he's up to now, but this, this one is really about the past and his journey to getting to this point. Some great stuff coming up on Rebel Radio. 
right after our EDM.com track of the week. was the edm.com track of the week Fival will stay in tonight if you like that one get over to edm.com check out more new music and now let's get into the interview with bosco that's amazing That's cool. Electro spit. This is electro spit. No. ESX one. Okay. And I'm playing it with the app right now. And I mean, for for people listening, this is all through a phone. Yeah, this is u- using a phone, but not just a phone app. The sound is coming out of the the, the phone and going into the ESX one electro spit mobile talk box, which is the world's first mobile talk box and the world's Incredible. most expressive instrument. So. So that thing is hitting your vocal cords? Exactly. So it's basically replacing the sound of my voice. So I don't have to talk or sing or anything. I just open my mouth, hit the key on the phone or keyboard or guitar, and then the sound just comes out of my mouth and I just control it with my mouth. But you're not actually singing. I'm not saying anything. I'm oh, just, man. Yeah, That's just, crazy. Josh, Josh, Josh Levine. <laughs> That's wild. Electro spit. Hey, rebel, rebel, rebel. <laughs> yeah, so. Cool. That's what we're doing right now. That's incredible. So, yeah, I want to learn how that came about. I know you've, yeah, I know we got you've a lot of backstory for, yes. for years. Yeah. Um, but this is, a, this is an amazing innovation. Thank you. Yeah, so let's learn about where that came from and, uh, I'm going to talk about how we know from. where. where how do we know each other? I was trying to remember how we met. Um, oh, I know how we met. Okay. So, uh, I was managing Skin Deep. Okay. Which was a girl group that was um, uh, too early and the less talented Spice Girls. <laughs> um, and uh, Steve-O... Uh-huh. At EMI Publishing, 
was one of the few dudes who like I was an intern. Yeah. You know, just starting in the music business and he was like one of the dudes that would pay attention to me, take meetings with me, I'd come in, bring really? him stuff, whatever. I'm pretty sure Steve O connected me with you. Really? Yeah. I remember get, I do remember getting now a tape. Yep. You were you have made I feel like you have made some uh, like demo tapes or whatever of of Skin Deep, and that's crazy. I just was we were with Steve O this morning. Oh, is that right? Yep. Okay. I haven't seen that dude in years, but uh, but I have a lot of love for him because, like I said, you know, you're starting out and like no one has any reason to take your call, but there's just a few people that I remember who were really generous Mm -hmm. with their time, and he was one. So yeah, I was managing this girl group. We got a demo deal with Randy Jackson at Columbia. Mm-hmm. I um, remember that and we needed to go make a demo so he connected me with you and we made uh, Do You Want to Get Funky uh-huh uh-huh um, and we did not get signed <laughs> well you know it was early it was, it was early it was all right I mean that was a great experience for me it was my first time really ever in the studio mm-hmm. you know trying to make a record I had no idea how records were made they had no idea, no reason to let me lead that process, but right. they did. Hey, sometimes um, you got to use trial and error. No, it, it worked out great. And then, and then, so you know, I got to meet you through that. Um, the other, there's a third producer who I can't remember. I'm sure he was great. And then the other one was Red Foo, mm-hmm. um, who at the time was uh, at the time he was called Kendall Gordy, mm-hmm. and he had produced a mod. Really? But he went on to be Red Foo of LMFAO. I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. So he did a couple songs. Yeah. So that was 91. Okay. And uh, yeah, 91. Um, what else was happening in 91? Ooh, I was a, a, a sophomore mm-hmm. at USC. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, I had my whole production set up in my uh, in my bedroom. I mean, not my dorm room or whatever. I think. Had I like moved a, to the house? Yeah. When I met you, you were living in. I'm the gonna house. tell you something about my memory. Okay. It, my memory is like um, um, it's an assisted memory. It works. <laughs> it works if it gets a, a little job. Okay. So I'm gonna use I'm gonna use you to. Uh, yeah, yeah, assist. that's good. Yeah. So no, I remember coming to the house and it was it was. <laughs> It was like a uh, frat house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, all these memories are coming back now that you <laughs> mentioned it. Yeah, uh, like the the earthquake, like being in that house. Yeah, 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 yeah. When the Northridge uh, quit, uh, quake happened, yep. all my equipment like fell over. I thought somebody was coming to steal all my gear. And that place was like, it was, it was like put together with putty and, mm-hmm. and like uh, Elmer's glue like that whole house was barely standing <laughs> yeah I'm sure I'm sure but um, so yes. okay then and then it it goes from there but I want to go back yeah first okay because um, we you know you're one of those people that that gave me opportunities that I wasn't ready for and I appreciate that thank um, you and we'll, so we'll talk about some of those <laughs> But, uh, but I want to, so neither was I, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it took me a long time to realize that's part of the game. Yeah. Um, but so let's go back to how, how it got started. Um, do you remember the first record that you ever bought? Ooh. Um, 
I can't say for sure that this was the first one, but it might have been like Roxanne. Okay. Uh, like I think it was the real Roxanne. Um, and then I went back and bought like UTFO, uh-huh. which Roxanne, the real Roxanne, Shant- Roxanne Shant- no, it's Roxanne Shantae, not the real Roxanne. Right. Roxanne Shantae was like the answer to UTFO, but I brought Roxanne Shantae first. Yeah. <laughs> I don't say no, I just a cold rock a party and I do this show. I said I'm at these three guys and you know it's true. And let me tell you and explain them all to you. I met this dude with the name of a hat. I didn't even walk away, I didn't give him no rap. But then he got real mad and he got a little tired. If he worked for me, you know he would be fired. I, I had, uh, ooh, that's, that's probably yeah, one of the first records I got. And I had won this uh, set of turntables in the breakdancing contest. So, Wait, at what age? Ooh, um, this was like seventh grade or, okay. or something like okay. that. Yeah, sixth, seventh grade. And uh, so yeah, went, I went down to Stereo Superstore and got the, got the new turntable. It was a piece of junk. <laughs> <laughs> you had to set the quarter. Belt drive. Yeah, oh yeah, belt yeah. drive. No, it was direct drive. Oh, okay. It was direct drive turntable, but it had a built-in tape deck. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> And um all that should seem like a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I had it I had the boom, I had the JVC yeah. with the built-in turntable. Oh, that's see that like you pull down the, the one that t- the one that the, slid out or uh, linear tracking turntable. Oh. Yeah, it slid slid out from the front. That was all back thing, then. Man. I love that thing. Uh-huh. So so you, so when you're scratching, you have to you don't especially with those kind of turntables, you don't want the needle to jump. So what you had to do is you had to set a quarter right or you know a stack yeah, yeah, of pennies yeah. on your needle so it wouldn't move. Yeah. And that way you could get down. Then that fucks up your record. Then it then it wears a hole in <laughs> your record. So so all that, I'm Shantae. Well, that part you probably yeah. couldn't even hear that on my record cuz I had scratched it so much. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. yeah, that that's it. That was the one. Okay. <laughs> and so and then when did you start uh making music? I know you were play you played basketball growing up. Yeah, um you know, we we were all breakdancing, and we just loved the, the music. And then when I got the turntable, I got a little mic, and then we would start freestyling over records in the basement. And, and then um, I started DJing little house parties, and I used the money to buy a four-track. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I'm, I've always been, like, into gadgets and technology, so I just kept buying more. So I got the four-track, then I got a... Atari ST computer and I started sequencing and I got different like I got a little five I the first time I got a drum machine I rented a 505 drum machine okay for like a couple like couple days and I loved it yeah then um I think I bought a a, a DX mm-hmm. drum machine and I started making beats with that and I, so that was middle school making tapes with the homies in the in the in the basement so and that's in Portland yeah, Portland, Oregon. So it's it's funny because so the first time I ever went to Portland was with you mm. for the uh, Pohop. Oh yeah, festival. Portland. Yeah, and cool nuts. Uh, you know, I was amazed just seeing the culture there and how you know. So that would have been ninety five, mm. probably ninety four, mm-hmm. and um, just seeing like uh, you know. So we were we were obviously just hanging out with. Um, your friend, you know, with rappers, yeah, and like hip hop community, and then at right. the Pohop shows, it was a very mixed crowd. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember thinking, like, that's interesting. There's a bunch of white kids in like 
looking grunge, mm-hmm. but they're Portland. but they're really excited to see Kenny Mac. Yeah, like, right. You right. know, uh, Hardcore, and you know that yeah. which was kind of like a San Francisco thing too, where there's just this uh, just a very diverse mm-hmm. flow. And then, but now you know, now that I've been to Portland more recently, there's definitely this narrative that like there's no black people in Portland. Yeah, and uh, which was not what I had experienced. Right. But so I'm I'm curious about like what was the hip hop community like when you're growing up? Man, you know, it, it's funny. I didn't think of a, a, a concept like hip hop community at that time because yeah, you know, I was like, uh, what are you, twelve, uh, eleven? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not thinking about that, <laughs> of course. Um, but but at that age, I had already started DJing parties. Right. Um, we would, you know, one thing that was crazy, I would. I would wander, I would go all through the city and I don't even know how my mom allowed it, but I would go to house parties yeah, yeah, yeah. like all around our neighborhood until late hours at the night. I would be DJing, we would be break dancing, pop, people would be, have battles at the mm-hmm. different parties or whatever. And um, just the hip, it was just, it was so exciting. Like, I, you know, you, you get on your bike, you ride to this house party, you right. hook up with some friends, you go mm-hmm. go into the basement, there's a DJ spinning, or I'm the DJ that's spinning. And you, it was just so much fun. Um, there's all these different crews, and certain people would get a name. Like, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of who are the... Well, this cat named Polly Paul was one of the dopest, like, producers. Mm. And he, he was the one that... He was like the guy that kind of inspired me to take my production maybe to another level because okay. I went into his, uh, he, he invited me over. He had this group, it was called the Dynamic Sound Machine. It was him and this guy named Roni. And they were way ahead in terms of technology. Mm. Like he had the, the, the DMX drum machine. He, uh, he had a Pro One synthesizer. Um, before anybody that I, I knew had one of those, and he was making you know dope beats. Um, but you know what's interesting about the the uh, hip hop hip hop culture of that time in Portland mm-hmm. is a lot of those people that you came up with, they still are in hip hop today. Like he's my guy. Yeah. Looking at me in the mirror, saying, "Damn, homie, you so fly." Who's that dude? Everybody wanna be, you wanna be next to. Before I spit the verse Off the top rock the spot like the shit's rehearsed Reverse cobra clutch with more heat than a soldier Touch bitter as fuck cause my records ain't sold And I'm old enough to know better than to get upset Still rapping, I guess I'm not fed up yet no. Oh yeah, so my, so, so oh, my, yeah, yeah. my first hip hop group that I, When I was making tapes in the basement The first group that I started was was uh was called the Real to Real Production Crew. Okay. It was this, this guy, uh, Solomon David, um, David Calamophony, and, uh, and and Marlon Irving. And now Marlon Irving and, and Solomon David t- are now the Lifesavers. Oh, okay. Who uh, are de- and, and, yeah, yeah. and part of uh, Black Alicious. And... Um, Who goes by Jumbo now? Yeah, Solomon goes well. Solomon goes by Jumbo, um, and uh, but that we we started way back then, and yeah. uh, unfortunately, my man David Calamaphoni, who was in the group, was uh, got shot mm. uh, like not not long after. So uh, there was a lot of gang violence 
yeah. um, growing up in, in Portland. Sure. But, man, just the, the hip-hop scene was vibrant, man. That's and, cool. And it was funny because Cool Nuts was like, he wasn't he wasn't in the group, but he was like one of my best friends. He, he was always there. Right. He was like, man, I got skills too, man. I can, I can get down. <laughs> so he was he would be writing, and he's like, man, make some beats for me, Bosco. At the time, my name wasn't, I, I went by... Uh, I went by the cool genius. Okay. Uh, also, sometimes Billy I went Beat? Billy Beat. <laughs> I went by Billy Beat. Now, right. now everybody puts Beat after their name, so I might need to go back to Billy right. Beat. Um, I got a hat somewhere that says that. <laughs> but I had the I had the starter jacket uh-huh. with the uh, with the floor rockers, which was my breakdancing crew on the okay. bag. It was all yellow. Um, it, I mean, it was just a fun time, man. We, yeah. I, I used to break dance. The Floor Rockers crew, we we broke dance for the Blazers at halftime. We nice. were sponsored by Nike. Like, wow. We just had it going on way back in the day. Just Amazing. music everywhere, man. And then and then when uh, the the movie Breaking came out and uh, a Beat Street when Beat Street came out, I'll never remember. I can't think of the guy's name, but he was upside. He was head spinning on the cover of uh, Newsweek or Time or whatever. It's like you just knew, man. This music is taking over the world, man, and sure. I'm part of this movement. Yeah, yeah. You know. So, at what point did you think? Did you realize that this was going to be your career? When I got a, a, a large check from this uh, company uh, called Fox Television for this <laughs> <laughs> theme song to "In Living Color," <laughs> um, you know, my my mom's uh civil she's a she's a math professor civil civil engineer mm-hmm. my grandmother's uh math professor also engineer and um my family was but everybody played an instrument so mm. music was very important in our family yeah. but it was not seen as a career choice and um so i it was all just fun and passion but in Portland, there's no music industry. Right. I ne- I didn't know yeah, that there sure. was a such thing as a career, really, in as a music producer, mm-hmm. much less like an executive. Or I just, you know, I'm gonna be an engineer, and I love music, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe I can make a record someday. But it wasn't like a career choice. But when, um, and I had I had actually before Living Color, um, um, I got. So 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 when I went I went to USC I ch- I chose I got a full ride scholarship academic scholarship and I could have went to I also got a, a, a an opportunity to go to Stanford I got accepted to Stanford USC and Portland State and University of Oregon but I decided to go to USC because I knew the music industry was in Los Angeles okay that was definitely a strategic decision but also they had an aerospace engineering. Uh, and I might have wanted to be a rocket scientist. Wow. So, <laughs> but anyway, um, so that, and they had a really dope um, recording engineering program at USC. Okay. So, all of those things made USC uh, attractive, but especially the music industry being there. Um, but when I was there on, on the basketball team, I met this uh, dude named Tremaine Ankrum. I, I, I didn't get a basketball scholarship, I walked on the team. Mm hmm. And um, Tremaine introduced me to. Did you play? Yeah, yeah, I played. I mean, I didn't start. Harold right, Miner right. started, but I did. You know, I did play. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so he introduced me to this girl named Leah Reese, who was a, also another engineering student at USC who played keyboard, and her boyfriend was this uh, um, guy named. Um, they, they called him Moto, mm-hmm. and. Um, 
So we like cooked up and made some beats together and said, oh, let's form a production team or whatever. And came up with the, I call it uh, the name Mad Dookie Productions. Because <laughs> it was I mad. Remember that. <laughs> we had all the mad shit. If you're enjoying this one, uh, let's go back into Rebel Radio archives. Check out my interview early on with AMG. You might know him from Bitch Better Have My Money. Uh, he and Bosco go way back, and, uh, and I forget one of them introduced me to the other. I don't remember how it all happened, but, uh, but go back and check out that interview. It was a great, great talk uh, right at the beginning of Rebel Radio. And, of course, let's finish up now with Bosco. So then... So then, uh, Tremaine also had a friend from Denver, this guy uh, named John, Big John, who was a DJ, and um, and he said, man, you gotta send your production tape to my boy, Big John, man, let him hear it, man. And uh, so we sent him the tape. He got excited about the music, said, man, I wanna, I wanna come down and work with you, man, I wanna manage you. So he came out to, um, Came out to L.A., met with us, started managing, started shopping our tape around. It, it didn't happen overnight, but he was able to get us a publishing deal at mm-hmm. uh, EMI, which was great because we got enough money to buy some equipment and made it a little more um, real that we could maybe do this for a living as opposed sure. to just being a hobby. And But being part of uh, that production team... Um, Moto's best friend was AMG. Okay. Who was down with DJ Quick and yeah, yeah. had single bitch better have my money. And so so we would hang out. Moto would take us uh take us out with AMG and we'd go over Quick's house and, and so that I started meeting people in the industry. Mm-hmm. We met this um cat volume ten at the at the who was rapping at the Good Life. And um, Moto was like, man, this is the next dude. You need to, we need to work with him. So yeah. we started doing demos with him, and ended up uh, he ended up getting a deal off of the demos that Moto and I and, and Leia uh, and put together, mm-hmm. and with Adrian Miller over at Immortal Records, and that was, um, and then we we got the B side of the first single. The first single was Pistol Grip Pump, mm-hmm. and. Uh, funny we did we did we did where's the sniper i think mm-hmm. that was the b-side matter of fact yeah i think so and the song called knock out your skull styles on deck like four songs on his album but that was our first like placement nice. that we got yeah um fast forward a little bit um one of the people that i had met was this guy dj trey ski who was um he used to be on k-day uh, he won one of the um, world uh-huh. mixing championship. Like he's a really dope DJ. Okay. Um, and he he's also produced, but he did everything he did was sample based. Mm-hmm. And he had got the gig to be the DJ on In Living Color, but um, his his productions. Okay, so then they needed a new theme song right. for In Living Color. Yeah. And. All of his productions were sample based, so they couldn't use anything of his. And, and he and I had just had struck up a friendship, and we're working on different um, production stuff. And he's like, "Hey, why don't you help me with this Living Color thing?" And I was like, "Okay, sounds good to me." So we put it together, collaborated, made something original. He cut, um, 
he, when I say he cut, he, he scratched on it. Came, mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we really collaborated on it. Put this big laugh at the beginning. Like, okay, um, just me belly laughing. Submitted it, crossed fingers, toes, ankles. Please, can they take this? Right. They selected. We got now, I'm a junior in college with the theme song to a hit television show. My Amazing. first big placement. And then not only did we do the theme song, we did um, the Fly Girls uh, used to dance, like Jay, uh-huh. we had J-Lo and all the Fly Girls. They, they, we did, the, they called them dance bumpers. Mm-hmm. So all the original music that you hear in this 93, 94 season uh, was created by um, uh, me and uh, DJ uh, Trasky. And um, some nice checks for a college kid. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, that I'm actually, sure. yeah, that was like a launch pad for my whole career for sure. Yeah, you know, one of many launch pads, but it was definitely a key well, point. Thinking, thinking back to that first group, mm-hmm. Matt Dookie. Yeah, I mean, it sounded like that wasn't your first group, but um, <laughs> no. But you know, obviously, as you said, at that age, you don't have the maturity. You know, nah, to, to, nah, definitely. But when you think different. back about that, what did you learn from the experience of having partners and and? You know what? What? What have you carried into the rest of your life? Um, I don't think that I learned the lesson that I needed to learn at that time. It sure. was ve- it was very depressing. Like I felt personally betrayed. That uh, like be- because so the 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 problem in the group was that I had a set of equipment and Mo and Leia shared a set of equipment, mm-hmm. and so. And then they had, like any couple, they had their own dynamics, you know, of Course. being, you know, happy at one time. And sometimes they weren't always getting along. Yeah. I mean, overall, they got along great. But so so I felt that the the way we were splitting everything wasn't fair. They're, you know, and, they're, and now looking back at it, we could have figured out some kind of incentive sure. based, like, yeah, yeah. you know, you... If you make this many tracks and these get placed and you worked on this one, you get a. We could have easily figured out a way to to uh, to split it up. So when I came to them with that uh, idea, I think they took it as an attack, like, "Oh, mm-hmm. he Bosco thinks he's better than us, mm-hmm. or whatever." And 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 so then they wanted we they broke they wanted to break up. Yeah, break the code, and I didn't. I never wanted. I, that wasn't right, my right, intention. Right, right. I just said, let's like, work. wait a second. Yeah, let's work out a new way to do our business or whatever. Yeah. Not let's just break up. And I felt like now my my friends hate me, and and um, so I was very depressed for a long time about that whole situation. Um. So I guess I, I didn't. I didn't necessarily. I, I would say part of the the legacy of that is I didn't. I didn't do another I'm very wary of doing partnerships sure. and groups after that experience yeah um, because a lot of the groups that I had been in had fallen apart and All right, our next story is not going to help that. <laughs> <laughs> I, already know, I already know where this is going it's not yeah. good yeah so and you know I, I guess I'm still learning that sure so um so real surreal production crew broke up too so. right exactly <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so no, as as we said, we met you know over Skin Deep, and then um, 
you know, kind of hit it off, but I don't think we even really like spent too much time talking to each other. Not, a, um, not right off the and bat. And then it was, you know, some months later, I don't know how much later, would have been a year or two. Uh, either you called me or I called you. I have no idea why. Yeah. And you had this group three ways. Yeah. Trey W-A-Y motherfucking Z. That, um, and you had some interest from a label, uh, from, uh, what's his name? Dave at Atlantic at Big Beat. Right. Right. Forget Dave's last name. Shout out to Dave, whoever you are. Um, it'll come to us in a second. Right. And you needed, and you had a lawyer and you needed a manager. Right. And so uh, I became the manager for the group, except it was really you. Like, I didn't really barely knew these other guys. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so I will say that one of the lessons that I had learned <laughs> from the three-way, I mean, from the Mad Dookie uh, situation is I wanted to be more in control yeah. of, of the, the partnerships. It, if if it was warranted and, and in this situation with the group three ways it was because mm-hmm. I I was doing all the production I had the most experience right um, had all the equipment I was investing all the money I had the business savvy um, yeah I mean it definitely felt like it was your group yeah um, and so uh, and I was you know at the time I kind of wanted to be a manager mm-hmm. I was working at Herb Magazine. Right. Throwing parties, writing, you know, for the source and a bunch of other people. Yeah. Um, I had managed, the first kid I managed was a guy I went to college with and we made no money together Mm. or didn't even get close to any money. Yeah. He didn't Um, see any money. But he introduced me to Skin Deep. Oh, that was the other producer was Roy Campanella. Okay. um, Who's another guy that kind of took a chance on me. It didn't really benefit him uh, or me directly. (laughs) But we're still good friends. Yeah. And um, uh, anyway, so... I think the lesson is you don't know what the fuck you're doing at that age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I think there's something to that. and Like, just that knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. And accepting that fact. And I, and I always tell people, like, that doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't do whatever you're about to do. No. But just know that you're going into something that you don't really understand, right? So go yeah. into it with that. Right. With that uh, learning right. as your objective. Right. right. And so it took me years, too, to figure that out. Yeah. Um, and I would say, like, if I knew how hard certain things were going to be, I never would have even tried. Mm. So there's some value to that ignorance. Yeah. But, but, but you could certainly go into it and say, hey, I'm going to go learn yeah. through this experience and pay right. more attention to those things. Right. And I think, you know, part of it was that... Uh, that energy that you mentioned earlier of this, like <clears throat> that we're going to, we're going to take over the world. We're going to change the world. Yeah. We saw it happening. Yep. Like hip-hop. to, yeah. Hip hop. And, and especially that community in LA mm-hmm. where, you know, guys like Paul Stewart. Yeah. Um, were becoming, who were like, not, Paul Stewart wasn't really a peer cause he was a step or two ahead of us. Mm-hmm. But he was definitely like you could you could see him out at night. You could get him on the phone. He was, yeah. you know, he felt relatable. Yeah. And yet, you know, this dude was, you know, making superstars and, and working right. with superstars, you know, right. all over the world and all that stuff. So, no, you know, I think there was definitely as I look back, like I definitely had a false, uh, 
not uh, unearned sense of confidence mm -hmm. that was mm -hmm. fueled by just the energy around me. Yeah. You know, and, and it, in some ways that's a good thing. Yeah. Right? Like um, you said, you wouldn't have attempted it otherwise. Right. Absolutely. So, uh, so you gave me that opportunity to, to manage the group and, you know, quickly we got into a bidding war. Yeah. The group, um, the group was, was, uh, um, rapper named semi and avandre jones so it was his name was crisis well at the time no, no he was shysty shysty we called him shysty at the time and he was he was a, a seven foot basketball a prodigy mcdonald's all-american who usc introduced me to him because they were recruiting him to go to USC. Oh wow! And the reason that he came to USC is mostly because he wanted to work with me on beats and on music. Mm -hmm. Nowhere else could he have gotten that opportunity. Nice. So, but he, he, didn't want to do but he didn't really want to play basketball. He and he was he could he was right. good he was Obviously. good. Yeah, I mean he right. wasn't just tall. He was yeah, tall yeah. and skilled, but it just his heart was in music and. But we started making uh, that summer, I think, after or after his during his freshman year or after we started making tapes and, and created three way stuff. And it was coming out like dope, like, yeah. man, great, great records. And then we got with Josh. This is 94. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the chronic and doggy style and all that was just, you know, couldn't have been any bigger. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, labels were just looking for what's next. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, especially, you know, most of the big hip hop labels were from New York. They focused on New York music and they saw this thing happening out West that they weren't part of and they wanted to be part of it. So it was a, it was a perfect, I mean, the music was great. The group was really interesting. You had, you had the seven footer who people thought was the next Snoop. You had a little scrappy white dude, Yeah. you know? And um, so no, it was great. And, and uh, you know, the demo was amazing. So, so we had really quickly, we had interest from Atlantic, Def Jam, Tommy Boy, Jive, Ruthless, Mm -hmm. uh, and and then and then MCA and Quincy, uh, Quincy Jones yeah yeah Quest like Quest um, and we start getting offers and yeah. the money start getting bigger and bigger and yeah. you know Bosco's calling me I remember I can picture in my head walking out of the the uh, the valleys on Ventura Boulevard because you know you had called me like we got to take a deal like. We're, we got these offers on the table. Why are we not signing a deal? Mm -hmm. And I was like, um, and I was like, okay, well, let's, I think I forget. Like, I remember that by the end of the conversation, we're like, well, let's set a deadline. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause I was kind of like, well, so-and-so Tommy boy said they're going to make an offer. They haven't come back yet. Right. Do we really want to not Hear what, they have See, to say. hear what they have to say, right? And, and Bosco was like, yeah, but these people are going to lose interest. They're going to move on, sign something else, whatever. And I think, you know, that was a good lesson because it wasn't one right answer. Mm -hmm. You could certainly wait too long. You could certainly move too fast. Yeah. You have to read, you know, 
the the mood the energy of the deal and i didn't know how to do that uh, like we I didn't neither one of us had the experience Mm-mm. yet so but at that time i remember feeling like some urgency to like okay my client like wants to get this done like okay i got it because before that call i had just been thinking like oh we're going to string them out let's get as much money as we can mm-hmm. right and you know part of that is the money and part of it is the priority that that makes you within the company right if they spend a lot of money on you mm. they want to pay attention to you right so i feel like we're getting close um all really good choices and for the most part right and we had you know we went and spent i was telling somebody yesterday we went and spent two hours in the four seasons with russell simmons mm-hmm. and like that to me was like that's one of those moments you'll never forget right because yep. you're 23 years old yeah and this dude is paying attention to you yeah he's like you need to sign with def jam <laughs> and that was to dante ross's label mm-hmm. right so so we had all these really good options my boy terry was at ruthless he mm-hmm. wanted to start his own label right and jerry heller was gonna was gonna support him in that and we um, were wary of signing to Ruthless Records with the reputation that they had, and Jerry Heller. Yeah, and I, a lot of that we didn't know. We didn't know. I mean, there was just there was all this rumor. Yeah. Right, and we didn't have the internet. We didn't have mm-hmm. uh, Ice Cube to make movies for us. Right. Tell us what happened. To tell us what's what. Right. So um, I remember that call too with uh, the lawyer, who was yelling on the phone that he was going to increase his fee by fifty thousand dollars to pay for his personal security. If we were going to do a deal with Ruthless. <laughs> and so I was like, well, why don't we just go see what they had to say? You know, mm-hmm. I didn't, again, I didn't right. understand. I think now I probably still would have met with them. I still, you know, respect uh, Jerry and what he did. And I didn't have the fear that this guy had mm-hmm. of going to sit with so quote unquote gangsters. Although Jerry Heller was definitely not a gangster, but I actually didn't know that. Right. I still wasn't scared, but um, but I just thought like let's entertain the conversation. Yeah. So so the deal was I had to go by myself without <laughs> any of the artists. So I showed showed up at Jerry's house. Terry's like, where the fuck is everybody? Where's the artists? Where's the I'm like, oh, they're they, they're on the way. They can't make it. Whatever. <laughs> got you got cold. So I got this beautiful tour of Jerry's house, and, uh-huh. his, and his wife served us lunch. Oh, that's cool. Um, and then we get. A meeting at RCA, uh, MCA, mm-hmm. with the president and uh, and a and a label. Um, and there's a reason I'm telling the story, but a uh, label called Gasoline Alley. Fucking Gasoline Alley. So, um, so we go in there. We already had great offers. We were more or less ready. It was not quite a formality, but we were just like, let's just go see what else is out there. So we walk in and, and, I, and I knew for a fact we weren't doing a deal with these people because the label was garbage. Yeah, they had no idea about, it was a pop, yeah. I don't know if they were, they were probably doing country music or something. It was a pop label. They had no idea of anything about rap music. Or they had that one song, Hell of a, that was, yeah, yeah, that was like a bad pop rap, you know, yeah. but they had a tiny hit with that. And uh, and the dude's nephew was trying to start his career mm-hmm. and wanted to use us for that. So we go and take the meeting, and I remember being arrogant. And I remember saying to them, like, "Hey, 
there's no way we could sign with you guys. You don't know this. And I, and I, and I said, I'm sure I must've come across really arrogant in that meeting. I didn't know any better. Yeah. Um, and I probably could have, you know, I probably could approach that more respectfully, but I was, yeah. I was hanging out with people like Dante Ross and looking up right. to their style of right. confrontation and, yeah. and all of that. Um, she just got out of a meeting with Russell Simmons, man. Yeah. So I'm like, now you people in demand. <laughs> so Quincy we, Jones is trying to get at us. <laughs> so we leave that meeting and try to go about our business. And then, uh, basically what happened, right. Is that they, they got at a couple of the dudes in the group. Yeah. So, uh, well, yeah, the, so the, the connection was that Lebo, one of the members of the group, I don't remember if he was related or his cousin or something. Might have been his cousin. Was, was, yeah. was, was related to the guy who ran Gasoline Alley or related oh. to him directly, Randy yep. Phillips. Yeah, so, Randy Phillips, who's, who's now the CEO of um, what used to be SFX, a huge festival promoter. Right. He's so, done okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. He was already doing okay. He was managing Cher at the time. Like, dude had money. Yeah, yeah. he was big time. He yeah. was big time. We just, we didn't want to sign with him because they didn't know the music. Yeah. But they it wasn't because they didn't, weren't successful. Right. Um, but he, he contacted Lebo and, and basically was like, well, I can just sign you instead right. of... Right. It's, he, he, figured, he figured out that he couldn't sign the group. And so he said, well, I'll, I'll do a deal with you, Lebo. And, and, uh, and then I'll offer you so much money that the rest of the group will have to come along with you. Oh. Right. So we said, well, I said, let's not sign with them. But, you know, he's offering him two hundred or three hundred thousand dollars, and which at the time was life changing. Was life changing. So, mm-hmm. but sure. the result is now the group is br- breaking up. Right. We can't take any of these other deals because Lebo is going with Gasoline Alley. So in the middle of the bidding war with, you know, the six ten, top ten hip hop labels. Yeah. We break the, br- the, group. the group breaks up. Right. It hurt. Right we didn't have our game t- tight. Definitely, it definitely hurt, um, and and it took me some time to realize the mistakes that got us there. Um, what would you say? Like, how, what what should we have done? Well, I think like first of all, having paper between everybody. Yeah, yeah. Like, like so, if you wanted to have your production company, we should have had those guys signed to production up. company. We should have you know, had yeah. me signed as the manager of the group where I had certain authority. Right. Yeah. right? Like, so, you know, that's the simplest thing that may not have solved the, right. the issue. Anyway, contract right? getting broken all the time. Yeah, for sure. But you know, yeah. What I've learned about contracts is that the real value, I mean, there's the one value when everything falls apart and you, and that's all you have left yeah. is this paper. Yeah. But you don't want usually you don't want it to come to that right right and so yeah. the real value in cons in contracts that that i do now in my business is the conversation we have when we're building the contract together yeah and we say hey we're going to put something down on paper that we both have to live with by law right so why don't we make sure we really understand what we're each getting into right and if right. there's any disagreements we can handle that now and right. then right yeah that's definitely that's the real value yeah having an understanding clear understanding uh, and, and 
and knowing what you're getting into so there's no surprises, no miscommunication or, or less for sure miscommunication. What I learned at, at that moment though was different. <laughs> yeah. Right? It was like <laughs> don't have meetings with fucking No, Randy no. <laughs> well, it wasn't even, I mean I, I didn't know how to solve that one. But what what I learned at that moment was was really about thinking on your feet, right? Mm. Because because I didn't want to lose that opportunity. Mm-hmm. In my mind, you were the group, so we flipped it. And it was a Bosco solo deal, right? Right, and and then I had to go back and sell that to these labels. Mm-hmm. Why that was just as good, and we wanted the same money, right? And uh, you know, and and it ended up working, yeah. right? And that that's not. I don't want you. You know, that's credit to you because you know you you turned around in a few days. I don't know how long. Yeah. Made a new demo. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the group. So the basically the group broke up. We knew we couldn't take any of the deals. So what's the solution? All right. Well, now it's a Bosco solo record. So we remade some of the records, made new records that like captured. Yeah. Pass yeah, the time. Bombay. Time, Bombay. About a year ago, a homie of mine asked me to say some hell of a tight rhyme. So I said this rhyme I'm about to say. The motherfucker dealt it in the county bomb by hitting corners with my nigga roll every day. Seeing how many hoochies we can fit in the tray. You get them turned down off the alleys. Ain't we got the bomb bay, the bomb bay. So, so basically, I had to uh, uh, become the full NWA. That's right. Instead of just Dr. Dre, That's right. <laughs> I had to be Nate Dogg. I had to be Snoop. <laughs> I had to be corrupt. <laughs> and uh, but but I think you know to use that analogy, like y- you were. I think I think you were the, the the young Dr. Dre, right? And it was just I think the the labels that were st- still interested kind of got that there would be yeah. talent around you. Right, right. That you'd end up building a stable and and, and yeah. whatever, um, and so we got a deal done. We we end up, you know, we still had multiple offers. Yep, and we still got a deal done. We end up signing a big beat Atlantic, mm-hmm. and you know, Craig Kalman wrote us a very nice, very nice, nice check. check. Um, One of the the biggest checks, definitely the biggest I had seen at that time for sure. And still, even to this day, a nice sizable check. Yeah. <laughs> That was amazing, um, and then uh, I know we're we're kind of belaboring this, but yeah. but it's interesting for me personally because there's so many lessons that came out of that experience, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and uh, the last the last big one being they didn't want the record that uh, we ended up making, yeah, and so was... we went and turned the record in, and they were like, "Cool, this is a good demo, now let's go fix it," yeah, and we were like, "Nah, this is the, the record." record. Yeah. And so they let us out of the deal. I mean, it ended up, you know, in some ways working out nicely. Got to keep the money and yeah. And uh, it was good. I would say the 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 deal. It was good from the money standpoint, but we never got to release right. the music. No, of course. And that's like a big regret for me. Like I would have definitely that music. I I feel like it would have done well. You know, you know, you never know. But um, we, you know, it, it's one of those things. I I think what happened. I never talked to Craig about this, but mm-hmm. I think he, like we, got swept up in the momentum of a bidding war, and he wanted yeah. to win. Right. And he, you know, either agreed to something that he wasn't really that interested in, or, mm. or he wasn't 
really direct with us that like uh, I'm going to guide you through making a record and what you have here is good enough to get signed, but it's not good enough to get released. Right. And I think you probably wouldn't tell somebody that if you're in a competitive situation. No. Right. So no. it's, so I, I don't fault him either. Yeah. I think he was doing his job. Right. Um, and I don't know if that's still, if, if that's true or not, but I'm guessing they probably have a, a very hands-on like creative process. I mean, you were always a producer yeah. and an artist. Yeah. And then, you know, over time you became more just focused on production. Was that ever, was there a conscious choice? I mean, I know you did some other things with DBA and... and yeah, I think my personality is, um, well, I'm, I'm a perfectionist mm. and you always want your stuff to be perfect. So uh, part of the downside of that is you don't release as much stuff, you don't finish as much, much stuff. And then I also, I like to help other people get their thing together. So right. people ask me to work on their record and I would always put other people's records ahead of mine. Um, so I think I never stopped wanting to be an artist. I'm still, you know, want to be an artist. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, um, I, at least that's the story that I tell uh -huh. myself. And, um, but I don't finish a lot of records. Okay. <laughs> I haven't finished a lot of records, you know, yeah. for myself. Well, yeah, somebody else gives you a deadline. Yeah, right? that's what and that's then, what it is. You know, and I remember, you know, I remember the times in the studio with, you know, Spice One. Yeah. And you know, E Forty. Yeah. Uh, I remember I who else was example, in that house. Um, there's a song called Money Schemes that I did for E Forty with JL Felony. Uh huh. And Forty calls me like. In the afternoon, hey, I got jail felony with me. You got any heat over there? We on our way. Right. No, I didn't have anything at all to for them, and so I start making a beat. Right. And they're there like at thirty minutes or an hour later. I got a baseline. Wow. Jail felonies in the booth rapping to the beat. Right. And forties on the couch uh, making his writing his lyrics, and we got money schemes. Boom. I would never approach one of my own songs sure. and give myself an hour deadline to finish the record. And maybe you should. Maybe I should. You know. Well, that's what I was gonna wonder. Like it. Is there a way to apply that to yourself? It, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's called a record label and um, uh, management. Uh -huh. <laughs> but but basically, yeah. You, I think it's very difficult to stand outside of yourself and and coach. It's like coaching yeah. yourself. Yeah, yeah. So I needed a coach, and maybe I had too much control. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm instead of somebody saying Bosco, I need a record right now. Right. But you you have. You you want to perform at the I want to make the greatest record of all time and 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 at least the greatest record I've ever made so mm -hmm. it needs a certain amount of time that's going to be spent on it, um, but you don't take into account that you've been doing this your whole life and you can make something great today mm -hmm. and then you can make another thing that's great tomorrow but the thing that you made yesterday or today can be selling while you're making the new thing. Um, I mean that seems to be just in general. Yeah, it doesn't um, have to be music. Well, but, but but for music specifically, I think there's been a shift, mm. you know, uh, generationally or yeah. 
or you know just the circumstance of where music is at right now that um there's a lot more people just making stuff today and releasing it and i think it's i think it's the technology you know yeah. that we the people have access to releasing stuff constantly so in, instead and people have realized that the story behind like the behind the scenes can be as valuable or more valuable than the final product right and that's part of the product and people are going to be more interested in the final product if they've seen it being created like i i, I know Personally, whenever I um, am in the studio with someone and they create a record, I like it much better than if I just hear a demo because I'm invested. I saw the product. Yeah, of course. You, I, I saw. The, you spent time. I saw the expression on the person's face when they were right. singing the lyrics or rapping the song or whatever. It's just a whole different experience. And using modern technology like social media, you you have it's it's basically reality TV. Right spread out over sure. each Instagram post and each Facebook and each, you know, Snapchat or whatever. Well, I think it's interesting, you know, I've talked to some, uh, you know, artists who like, they, they collab, mm. you know, they get features, whatever. Yeah. But they, you know, like in the old days, that meant everybody went into the studio together. Right. I was just watching that, uh, that, um, oh, the Tupac movie. Mm. Um, All Eyes on Me. Yeah. And, uh, and there was that scene where he was in making, I think he was in making California Love. Mm -hmm. And then he walked out and he went into the other room. Yeah. And made uh, whatever that song was with Daz. Uh, shit, now I'm going to forget what it was. But it was literally like they were all in the studio together. And he went in to get on Snoop's record. And then he went on to yeah. just get on the other record, you know. That's, that's how, I mean, that's how it happens. And that's how it's supposed to happen. And part of that is when you are paying for studio time sure so yeah. now you talk to a lot of artists about you know the the features that they've had or the collabs mm -hmm. and it's like well they never met each other right right somebody sent the track somebody sent back the vocals and you know mm -hmm. and um i don't know if we can hear it in the record or not i'm not sure uh yes you definitely can because i i know like the, the records, some of the best records that I've made, it, it, it wasn't like, it wasn't I made the beat and E-40 wrote the lyrics. Nah, I came up with a, 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 some, a bass line and 40 heard me playing some sounds. He's like, ooh, that one, I like that one. Put mm -hmm. that in there. Mm -hmm. well, what if you put some bells or something and make mm -hmm. some shit go backwards? And then he's writing some lyrics, and I'm like, "Oh, that's tight. What if you, what if you make the story about, you know, going to Houston, and, you know, you could say, you know, what, whatever it is, it's a collaborative effort, and so there's no way that we can make that independently of each other." Is he the person you've produced for the most? Yes. Yeah. Definitely. I've, I've definitely done more songs with Forty than anybody else. So what makes that a good partnership? Um. I think that the reason that it was uh, successful was, well, well one, he's, he, I give him the credit, he's an amazing artist in terms of being prolific. He's a genius. Writing, um, you know, constantly making songs. Yeah. Um, he was, he was open to that creative process of, uh, you know, getting in there and having input on my music and, and ha allowing me to have input on his lyrics 
and I could really produce mm. him uh, to make the best records. Mm -hmm. So, you know, testament to testament to him to being open to taking my For feedback sure. and yeah. testament to me to being able to take his uh, input. Like, I want this beat to sound like this. Um, so... I think that being 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 humble, he maybe he's a little bit older. He's not a lot older than me, but just a little bit, and, and sure. the maturity yeah. that he had um, helped in terms of being able to do that and make these records. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think those are those are the main things that come to mind about the the partnership in terms of making great great music. I think he's the world's most underrated rapper. Yeah, yeah, very cre creativity for sure. Uh, it was always he, he has this he has a real um, bubbly like outgoing personality we always had fun together mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it was uh, like you know it was like a party whenever we were in the studio and um, that energy translated into the records it meant that we could make a lot of records together you know some other it, it, he's, you know, he's like a friend. He, mm -hmm. he is a friend. He's mm -hmm. like, he's, he's like family. Um, and a lot of other artists that I work with, it was not so uh, collaborative. You know, I think, I think it's the relationships. Sure. Building, yeah. like having a real friendship, a real relationship, as opposed to it just being, oh, I'm gonna come over and buy these beats. It's gonna be a transaction. Nah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come over. I'm gonna kick it at the house. We gonna cook. We gonna uh, you know, play dominoes and, you know, what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I think one thing about Forden, um, the one, one of the reasons why he's had such longevity is that he continues to keep um, in contact with what's going on um, with the streets and with the culture. Sure. And he even though he's, you know, a multimillionaire, he hasn't lost that connection where a lot mm -hmm. of rappers, once they make it to a certain level, mm -hmm. they don't know what's relevant yeah, with, yeah. with a certain age group anymore. And so they start to rap from their experiences now, right. which don't necessarily connect with the people who they're who are listening to their songs. That's right. Forty makes it a point to stay connected. Yeah, and I would say in a sense I was maybe the first wave of that. Like he his First stuff was like with Studio Tone, right. and, and those guys are probably the same age as forty. Yeah, yeah. But but then the next wave was was mm -hmm. the stuff that we did together, and and the stuff he did with Rick Rock. Mm -hmm. we were just a little bit younger than him, mm -hmm. which helped him, you know, stay on the cutting mm -hmm. edge, and, mm -hmm. and helped us, you know, be connected with somebody that was established. Um, he got my wife drunk on Carlo Rossi at your wedding. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> He had his own job. But yeah, we were at the table, <laughs> him and his wife and Big John mm. and Felly Fell. Uh, and uh and he kept he kept pulling up that jug. <laughs> My wife was all in on it. Man. Good times. Yeah. Good times. That's what it, that was the secret to the whole shit was the Carlos Rossi. Because we always had the Carlos Rossi in the studio. I tried to tell. I know now it's Earl Stevens Select. I tried to tell. Uh, I was doing some work with Carlos Rossi uh, a few years ago, and I was like, "Y'all old." We, we, no, I was like, "We we need to go do a deal with E40," 
And they were like, no, 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 that's not our lane. I'm like, you, yes, it is. Yeah. You think it's not, yeah. but you don't know what's happening out there. Right. Like, that's your lane. Right. They missed an opportunity with that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, now he's doing it. Yeah, he, he could t- take that lane on his own. That's crazy. Yo, that was Bosco on Rebel Radio. That's the end of part one. Make sure you come back next week for part two and hear what he's got cooking next. Really exciting tech startup project. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but you're going to want to hear it. Uh, In the meantime, leave us a comment, a review on iTunes. Hit us on Twitter, Facebook, wherever else you want. YouTube, we got a a YouTube channel with uh, videos from a lot of our interviews. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.